0: here this morning. And there are Bibles on your tables if you, need, if you need one there as well. So, here we go. <clears throat> Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future or a python spirit. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews, and they are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowds joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself! Because we're all here, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, oh, sirs, what must what must I do to be saved?" They said, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. you and your household." And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. When daylight came, the chief magistrates sent the police to to say, Release those men. The jailer reported these these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They beat us in public without a trial. Although we are Roman citizens, they threw us in jail. And now are they going to send us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come out themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them and escorting them from prison. They urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, though, they went to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and then departed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for this Philippian jailer that we can see ourselves in and his need for you, Lord, his need for peace, his need for salvation. And so God, this morning, I pray that you would open up your word to us. Open up, your, open up our eyes and our, our spiritual eyes to see and to perceive what you would have for us here this morning. We desire your words to, to, to penetrate into our spirits and into our hearts, into our minds, that we may come, come to you, the author of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in your holy and precious and powerful name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. Crisis can come out of nowhere. It can just be like, boom, ah, I'm in crisis. Kind of freaks us out. So for instance, my my dad had a a surgery a while back, you know, back in 2016, summer, and he actually got a kidney transplant and got a new kidney. He got new parts. And uh, then, uh, see, then he went and had a surgery to take out the old parts, the old gross and ginormous kidneys that were like 60 pounds uh, between the two of them. And, but so you know, we had heard I went to camp uh, that summer and with with the youth group out of Cody, and I uh, you know we had gotten word that my dad's surgery was a success. They got him out, and he was he was in a lot, you know quite a bit of pain. He had he emailed me, and so we were praying for his pain and and everything. And and so we go from you know from sur- so surgery was a success to my dad's in some pain, but they're okay. He's he's okay. They're they're managing it with some pain meds and stuff like that. To a few days later, my mom sends my sister and I a text that says, be praying for us. We're deciding based upon the brain scans if we're going to pull the plug on your dad or not. And I'm like, wait, what? Like I went from like, my dad's okay, but he's a little bit of, a little bit of pain to my dad might be dying. My dad is dying. I'm like, whoa, What? And so like, I called my mom. She wouldn't wouldn't respond. I called my sister. She wouldn't respond. Finally, my sister calls me back. And we're sitting there on FaceTime as I'm sitting there in the cabin at the camp. And we're just like both crying. We were like, what just happened? We went from peace and security to, bam, crisis in an instant. Now, thankfully, my dad's still alive. You know, just had another surgery. He's like the man of surgeries. It's crazy. But he, he, like, you know, he like shredded the, the tendon in his foot for somehow just walking. Um, so, but crisis can just come out of nowhere, unexpected in our lives. We get that phone call. We get that email. We get that knock on the door. Or, you know, crisis can come gradually. Um, so over the course of three, three plus years or so, I had an issue when I was a youth pastor in Texas, associate pastor with my worship leader in the youth group. He was a good friend and he was kind of one of the guys that kind of got me connected because he was a, a, a local and grew up there. And so he was introducing me to the culture of West in, on, in that culture of high school and, and everything. And, but the problem was, is that he eventually ended up sleeping with one of my other youth workers and got her pregnant while they were both working in the youth ministry. And so over the course of the next three years, we went from talking and working it out to discipline and, and asking him to step down to the drama of him starting another youth group on the same night as ours, basically just a worship night like over at the school or in the park and at the exact same time as our youth group, and then to you know, having meetings with them and having meetings with all the kids and saying, what the heck is going on, to then like processing through the next few years of bitterness and anger and frustration with this guy, because he still wasn't repentant of anything he did, to then like finally after years, we, figured, we actually engaged in, in, in some restoration. And then he joined the Bible study that I was leading for young adults. But it was a process of crisis and different levels of crisis throughout the throughout like the 3 plus years that we were that we were in relationship with each other and you know many other kind of crises can be like a season or like you know a week or a day, you know it could be a day or it could be a week it could be a month it could be a series of months it could be, be an entire season of your life mental and emotional or relational crises can last quite a while in our lives i mean cuz think about just even the random kinds of crises. I mean, like there's of course the, the law enforcement things or the drugs or the car accidents or the surgeries or the different kinds of things like that. But what about just like mental crises, depression and anxieties? What about things like, you know, there are times, I don't know if you get, get into these, these times where basically like I'm just considering all the different philosophies and view, viewpoints of the world and I like, just get overwhelmed mentally. Like what's truth? What's real? Like, is this even, re- is this reality? Like, what's going on? Like, is what I know about the, about the world and reality itself, like, skewed? And learning new things, and like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like, and it just like, rattles my cage, rattles my whole mind. So many worries and anxieties that we feel like we need to deal with. So many you know, fires that we have to put out, whether they're at work or in our family, in, the ch- in our church, so many arguments and frustrations maybe with our spouse or with our kids. But there's a secret. God has given us a secret. The secret to strength and fortitude is bringing God's peace. I should have actually said into every circumstance. The secret to strength and fortitude is bringing God's peace to every circumstance. I love that word fortitude. You know, strength, we can see a strength like, you know, physical strength or mental strength, endurance, but I love the fortitude word. Fortitude means courage in the midst of pain and adversity. So even in the midst of the crises, even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the trials and the adversity and the temptations, we can have courage. It's like one of our values as a church, courage with humility. And have courage because of God's presence, because of God's peace. And so much, so much so that we can actually not just not just experience God's peace. Like we're bringing God's peace to our circumstance, but we can also bring God's peace through every circumstance we can bring God's peace to it and experience it, ourselves within it. But also if it's the midst of a crisis, like a relational crisis, we can bring God's shalom, God's peace to the situation for the benefit of others as well. So experiencing it ourselves first and then bringing it to the forefront to be experienced by others. So that's our main point that I want to lean into here this morning is that the, strength, the secret to strength and fortitude is bringing God's peace to every circumstance. So let's look at our passage here this morning. Salvation for the jailer. He's, he, he, we've seen this word a couple of times. Salvation, salvation. It was kind of funny. Like I kept, got to thinking about it this week. and I was like, what is salvation? If we were to tell some random person on the street, what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? It, it reminds me of a, of a time back when my dad was a youth pastor in the high desert in California. Um, there was a girl that had just gotten baptized. Just gotten what? Saved. Got baptized, and she was going to she went to her friend at school and said, I just got saved. And she's like, How? Did you almost get hit by a car? Like she didn't like people don't under understand or grasp what is salvation. What do we mean when we say God saves you, to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ? So this week I kind of did like a, a deep dive into salvation, not just in the in the biblical sense. But what was salvation? What did salvation mean to the pagan culture, to the unbelieving Roman Greco-Roman culture? Because to them, like he asked a very specific question: How can I be what saved? Sir, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And spiritual salvation to the ancient Greco-Roman Empire, um, kind of this working definition that I found is the deliverance of humankind from such fundamental negative or disabling conditions as suffering, evil, finitude, and death. So basically salvation to the world or to the the pagan cults or to the the, the Greco-Roman religious cults or to the atheists is basically salvation for them is being saved from suffering. Anything that they do or anything that they devote their lives to that saves them from the negative energies, the negative spirits. If you're, if they're part of the occult, because even within the, the within the occult and New Age and witchcraft, they have belief in malevolent and benevolent spirits. And there's a girl at the coffee shop that I go to that's in within in the occult, and talks about, as I've, I've talked about these things um, of how she you know engages. That's why they do you know, use, use like the sage is to get the bad energies, to get the, bad, the the negative spirits out of their house, to cleanse their homes using sage and things like that. These are all parts of New Age, New Age expression of that is where they find their salvation. They find their salvation in the things that they can do, in the ways in which they can manipulate nature or utilize nature to Push away the negative energies or negative spirits from their homes and to invite the positive energies. Invite the positive spirits. We've seen this, right? The, the conversations about negativity or positivity, right? Crystals, things like that. So like absorbing the negative energies, right? And so that they only experience and feel the positive energies. This is the way in which the world around us views salvation. They could even look at other things as well, which we'll get to in a minute. But it's basically anything that alleviates negative or disabling conditions such as suffering, evil, their, their feelings of finiteness in this world, their sense of mortality, and death itself. So think about this, the jailer's question. He wasn't asking about like, the, you know, how to you know, save his soul through the belief in their Jewish Messiah upon the notion of the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. That wasn't what he was asking. He wasn't asking them about their Messiah. He wasn't asking them about their Savior. They had no idea. He, the jailer was asleep in another room. He wasn't listening to their worship. He may not have even, even known why these guys were in jail in the first place. Only thing that he knew is he was woken up by a violent earthquake and he rushed in and all the doors were open and he freaked out. He's like, my, cook, my, my goose is cooked. I'm done. It's over for me. But, so in the, in the terms of when he, you know, Paul and Silas yelled out, don't kill yourself, we're all still here. He's like, wait, what? So he brought in the lights and brought them out, right? He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, the word is sotho, meaning to save or to heal, or to preserve, rescue, or deliver out of danger. So think about the context of, of him talking to Paul and Silas what must I do to be delivered from danger? Because what was the danger that he was feeling in that moment? That he was going to have negative consequences because all the doors of the prison flew open and he was responsible, right? So sirs, what must I do to be saved? Basically what he was saying is that what do you want me to do so that I don't get in trouble and get executed? He was expecting, he thought he was about to get extorted for money in my opinion because he had no concept of, of salvation in the Messiah that they were preaching. He wasn't there when he was, when the, the girl with the spirit, with the evil, you know, with the Python spirit was saying that, the, that these guys are declaring a gospel of you, to you of, this, of salvation. She, you know, this jailer wasn't there. He's saying, what must, what must I do for you so that you don't get me in trouble? So that I'm, that I'm safe, that I can remain safe and not have to go and kill myself. Are you gonna? Are you guys gonna come and like ambush me and like knock me out? What must I do? What, what is it gonna take for me to be safe? But their answer surprised him. They turned it spiritual. What he meant for physical deliverance, they meant for spiritual deliverance. I had an interesting conversation. I went hunting this last week and uh, got got my elk. Woo! And was <laughs> great. Um, it was, it was, it was hard work. It was, it was not the easy uh, hunt that I was expecting of going down to the pivots, shooting an animal, pulling the truck up to it, loading it on the truck and then going home. (laughs) It was the first time I actually had to quarter, quarter it out, which is great. But so we had a guide from, from the ranch that I, that I hunt on and, uh, having this conversation with her and, and, uh, my buddy Bryce out in Livingston in the truck coming back. And uh, we kind of threw our conversation because we're both pastors. Of course, this topic of Jesus is going to come up. You know, what's your experience in church? And it was very negative negative. and grew up Catholic. And we we're like, oh, that, makes, that, that defines right there. That shows us right there exactly what, all we need to know, you know. But we, 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 try, we kept trying to bring in the spiritual. But I mean, it was, you could tell that she was super uncomfortable. She was super uncomfortable talking about anything spiritual. So basically, like she said that, you know, the nature is her church. I'm like, mm, yeah, not so much. But it is. Because it's, it's that, what is it? Remember, with that working definition of the deliverance of humankind from fundamental negativity and disabling uh, conditions such as suffering, evil, finitude, and death. So when someone goes out into, the na- into nature and they feel like that those, ki- those times are what alleviate their suffering or give them peace... Instead of Christ, that's worshiping the creation rather than the creator. I mean, I, I love hiking. I love backpacking, uh, you know, like, just like the next person. I 100% absolutely love being out in nature. And my, one of my favorite things is waking up in the morning and, and taking my water filter out and pumping the, the water out of the river or out of the lake there with this beautiful view in front of me, like, oh, hallelujah, this is beautiful, amazing, and then making my coffee as I and then just sitting back in my chair and just looking at the mountains, looking at the morning sunrise come up. Beautiful, love it. But do I need that over my need for Christ to have peace in this life? What do we run to that is our salvation? Is creation rather than the creator our savior? We can admire our savior through his creation. We can admire and glorify our creator through admiring what has been created. I admire my son by saying, wow, that's such a great drawing. You did such a good job. You're throwing that football so well. You made something, you accomplished something wonderful, but I'm not praising and worshiping the creation that he made, but him as the creator of that. It's the same thing with our God. And so we, we tried to navigate this conversation with our, with our guide, our hunting guide, kind of, kind of carefully because we wanted to still have that door and then kind of plant a seed but not like plant it and then like smush it and, you know, kill it, you know, by going overboard, by doing too much. So because realizing that our, our guide's need the, our, is Jesus is Jesus. She needs the peace of God by having the peace with God. This jailer and his household needed peace with God. And they got just that. They got peace with God. The jailer was asking for physical saving, physical salvation. But Paul and Silas were offering spiritual salvation. The true way and true meaning of salvation. Jesus Christ. The only way to the Father. The only way to eternal life. They then what spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. Verse 32. And then he washed their wounds. And I love this picture. That the washing, this washing here is reciprocated. That this jailer washes their wounds and then they wash his wounds through baptism. Jesus Christ washes the wounds of sin in this jailer and his family's household through the washing of baptism. And then they bring food in front of them and they feast together. I love this. This is this is the gospel right here. It is the expression of the gospel it always brings us together to feast and to celebrate. And so he lays a feast before them. This is a celebration. Like Luke chapter 19 with, with uh, the wee little man, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little, right? And he sells, he sells all this stuff. He gives the money back fourfold if he's extorted anyone. Transformation happens just like this Philippian jailer. And Jesus declares, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And here the lost are found in Philippi. The broken are healed. The oppressed are set free. The peace and shalom, the flourishing of God, was brought to To this man and his entire household. And they experienced peace with God. They enjoyed peace on earth, as we talked about during the season. You might even see it on on signs and and Christmas lights. Peace on earth, peace on earth, peace on earth, right? They, They enjoyed the peace on earth that the, these heavenly armies proclaimed at the birth of Jesus Christ. And this is where we get that verse. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly armies with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. Peace on earth is not just peace, man. Peace as not like, peace, like stop fighting, stop warring, stop bombing each other. And yes, that is part of it. But it's not just a general peace on earth, just a happiness and a, and a blessing across the earth. No, peace on earth is, has always been and will always be peace with God. Peace on earth Always and only ever comes through peace with God, if you want to partake in god 's peace on earth, you have to first have peace with god that 's how the peace of god that 's how the god 's peace on earth is experienced is through having peace with god once we 've experienced the peace of God by gaining peace i 'm sorry the peace on earth by gaining the peace with God, our lives then become a walking worship to our God, trusting and entrusting our lives to Yahweh through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our peace, Mr. Peace himself, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of Shalom. Then as we walk with God, we experience his presence, his Peace then becomes our strength. His shalom, his flourishing, life as it was meant to be in the garden. is what this word shalom means, where we get the word peace from. Life as God created Adam and Eve in the garden to enjoy for all eternity. The, The shalom that he will restore this earth to at the end of time. That is the shalom we're talking about. The full presence and full experience. Humanity as it was meant to be, according to God's creation. This becomes our strength and fortitude in the midst of every circumstance. Good and bad. Ugly, weird, mundane, the boredom of life. The joyful, the gladness, the happiness. And the crisis and the trial, the temptation. The suffering, the oppression, and the persecution. Because think about what happens in times of trial and temptation. You know, all of a sudden, boom, you're hit by something, either a crisis or a trial or temptation, and our lives, like this jail, are shaken. We are either fearful of the consequences, like this man or fearful of the unknown future. What's life going to be like on the other side of this crisis? I don't know if I'm going to like life on the other side of this crisis. Think about 2020. All of a sudden, COVID out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, everyone's shutting everything down. Slapping masks on everyone and saying, you know, follow us. And life after that, that you know, month or so has never been the same. Middle of March, 2020, changed the course of human history. What happens after you get that phone call? This person was just killed in a car accident. You're fired. You're being evicted. You've lost your job. Whatever it is, what happens in our minds? We're, we, you know, this, this, this feel, these feelings of fear rise up. We doubt often, sometimes maybe the, even the goodness of the future. Can it be good going forward? Can it be as good as the past? Which is why so many people are like, I just want to go back to the good old days. Remembering, remembering it with, with uh, serenity. And then if we don't like that, if we, don't, if we, if we doubt the, the, the goodness of the future and we don't believe it's possible that God can turn all things to good, then we give up. We can often give up. Or just, oh, this will just be my cross to bear for the rest of my life. This jailer had given up. His life went from normal Normal every day, going to work, making a garden the prisoners at night, to all of a sudden boom, crisis in a moment. And it wasn't even his fault. He wasn't his fault. It was an earthquake. It wasn't his fault that the doors you know swung open, broke open. But now he had a choice. This jailer was in desperate, desperate need. Of peace, a you know, first in his situation, and two, God, in overall, in general, in his life, he was in desperate need of peace, in both the way that he knew, but also in the way that he didn't know. He knew he needed peace in that moment of crisis, but he didn't know that he needed ultimate peace with peace with God. He didn't know his his spiritual need until. God brought a physical need. And God showed himself to be the savior of both. Both his temporal need and his eternal need. Do you need peace in a situation in your life? Is there, is there a crisis or a trial or a temptation going on in your life right now? Do you need peace in your life? overall with God? Do you feel like you you have this peace with God? Because the question is, why do we need peace with God? You have this question, you know, I'm a good person. I'm not the most moral person maybe, but I try to at least be a decent human being. That was part of our conversation with our hunting guide. We hear that from people. Well, if there is a God, then I'm I'm definitely in because I'm a decent human being. I'm a good person. We hear that, that phrase, good person. And in my mind, I'm like, well, Jesus said there's only one good, and that's God. So just because you feel like a good person doesn't mean that you actually are to the God of the universe. His definition of good and your definition of good are probably different. Just maybe a little bit. But when we are lost and we're living our lives in this world for ourselves, We were enemies of God. I'm a good person. No, you're an enemy of God. That's the reality. That's the truth of the gospel is that we are all in need of the gospel of salvation because we were all enemies of God. We didn't want him. We didn't worship him. We didn't trust him. We didn't honor him. We didn't acknowledge him as Lord and Savior of the world. When we were lost in living in our lives in this world for ourselves, we were enemies of God. We wanted what felt good. We worshiped ourselves or idols in this world like Taylor Swift, the government, the military, our favorite political leader, maybe maybe even a good person in our lives. What was the idols that we were worshiping and, and relying on for salvation? in this world. Was it creation? Was it nature? Was the hiking trail our church? If the hiking trail is the church, then the creation is your God, and that's an idol. But if you're in the church, not the building, but with the people of God, then the God of the people is your God. Whatever it was that we worshiped for salvation, whatever we relied upon and trusted and entrusted our lives to, that was where our salvation was. For me, it was myself. The good things that I tried to do, pulling myself up by my, by my bootstraps. But I also wanted to just enjoy the heck out of life according to my perspec- perspective of what was good. And my perspective of what was good was really bad. <laughs> Because remember, salvation is the deliverance of humankind from such fundamentally negative or disabling conditions as suffering, evil, finitude, and death. We looked to anything and everything else for salvation from suffering, evil, finitude, and death rather than Jesus Christ. And therefore, we were an enemy of God. It's not that he didn't like us or that he hated us. It's that we didn't like him. We were opposed to him. We were enemies of God, not because he said we're enemies of God, but because we said we were enemies of God. Because I wanted to be God. Or the God that I worshiped wasn't Yahweh, wasn't Jesus. We made ourselves enemies of God. What the world needs is peace on earth through peace with God we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. As it says in Romans, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him, through, through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this salvation, this reconciliation. Shalom is strength. Peace with God is strength. Flourishing is our fortitude. When our lives flourish because we have a relationship with God, because we've been reconciled with God that is what establishes our fortitude in this, in this life. Believing and living your life according to God's definition of salvation, of shalom, is the way of gaining strength. And putting Yahweh's perception of life and flourishing, uh, pers- I'm sorry, pursuing Yahweh's perception of life and flourishing is what cultivates fortitude. That courage in pain, in the midst of pain and adversity in your life. So don't live your life in your own strength and in your own mind. Then wait until the crisis comes to invite God into your circumstances. Sometimes praying is like the last resort for some of us versus it should be our first and foremost before the crisis even happens. So when it comes, we're ready. Are you ready for the crisis in your life? Are you ready for the crisis that you don't even know about yet? That's why we prepare now and always so that when it comes, we're ready for it. We are strong and we have fortitude to endure it through the shalom and the flourishing of Christ in our lives. Don't live your life trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps through the ways and desires of this world and then only trust God when everything falls apart. Walk with God. Walk by His Holy Spirit. And you will not fulfill the desires and the deceptions of this world. Nor will your life be crushed by the consequences of your stupidity. You can do all things the good, the joyful, the blessed, and happy times, and the suffering, the trials, the temptations, and the crises of life through Christ who gives you strength. That's, what, that's the context of Philippians 4. It's not so you can kick that field goal or accomplish that great feat in life, get that job. No. He's saying, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make, it, make do with little. And I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through Him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Because the secret to strength and fortitude in this life is bringing God's peace, God's shalom, God's flourishing to every circumstance in our lives. That's the secret. Now, how do we do that? That's the question. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence and we thank you for your strength and your fortitude that you walk with us and that you give us your strength. You give us your fortitude to endure all things as we walk in peace with you. As we walk in shalom and press in to live our lives through your ways, through your way, your truth, and your life. Help us to trust you, God. Even when the times are difficult, even when the times are hard, even when the times are confusing, Lord, help us to press in and trust you, to encounter your strength and your fortitude in every situation and in every circumstance in our lives. Give us your peace every day. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen.